Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello to our fellow royal lovers. Welcome back to Royally Us, where we break down everything about our favorite family. I'm Joe Drake, back with my lovely London-based co-host, Molly Molshine. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you, Joe? I'm good. Yet again, another week, more royal updates. Again, like I said last week, I feel nervous sometimes that there will be nothing that happens, but you've been doing this longer than me. I feel like there's always something. We have had quiet weeks in the past. Have you? But they're always, they are always doing things, you know, whether it's opening a bridge or, you know, just there's always things going on. But recently the gossipy stuff has just been on an, an 11. It's a level yeah. 11 out of 10. Completely. <laughs> so. I mean, after that interview, it's just been like an avalanche of stuff that really is good for us. Of course, Father's Day was Sunday, June 20th, and members of the royal family paid tribute to Prince Philip on social media. Molly, what did they have to say? So on the official royal family Instagram account, there was a photo of the Queen Prince Philip and Prince Charles, which was very sweet. Uh, And that was alongside King George VI, who was the Queen's father, which was taken at Balmoral in 1951. So that was a nice little vintage snap that they shared. Um, William and Kate shared an animated post, which it had this fuzzy sort of photo of William in a military uniform with his kids. And I just wish they released an HD version of that one because it was so cute. Right? It was very cute. I love that it was animated. It seemed like in my head, Kate went on like some sort of app and like made it herself. <laughs> right. She went on Canva and like used the, the free trial or something. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's what it reminded me of. But it was adorable. Yeah, they had a lot of really cute ones. They also had a, a photo of Prince Charles with William and Harry in their little animation. So, yeah. And I noticed that, too, with us doing this show and all of the conversations out there about the rift between William and Harry. It's like any time William and Kate mention Harry, I'm like, oh, that's good. They're still like trying to keep this relationship going well, you know? Yeah. They very well could have left Harry out of that collage. 
Right. I, and I'm always still pulling for them all to make up and get along because always. I just remember them all being looking like they had so much fun together at weddings and stuff. I just want to see them all back together again. But I also thought it was really nice on the official Royal Instagram, that picture that you mentioned at Balmoral in 1951. I like seeing those vintage pictures, especially with King George and, you know, Elizabeth's dad and all that stuff, because we're very much aware of the current Royal family, but as a fan of the crown and even the history of the Royal family, some of those vintage snaps that we don't get to see, I'd love, you know? Yes. And it really puts into perspective just how long the queen has been a public figure. It's mind blowing to think about. Mind blowing. Like there are times, like, I think she was probably older than me in that photo. You know what I mean? And like she had already met. Yeah. And she's still going strong and looking really great. One thing I've noticed now that you bring that up is even since Prince Philip's death, her public appearances, she's like all smiles and like, she doesn't look like the grieving widow. Like she's really still putting on that front. Yeah, that's so true. I think, yeah, I think she knows that she sort of has to, you know, put on a happy face for the public, but that's also not really in line with the British stiff upper lip. So maybe sort of trying to send a message that, you know, she's a little more in her feelings now and, you know, showing emotions than she would have been in the past. Because if you look at... Yeah, if you look at photos of her from the 80s and 90s, man, she never cracks a smile. (laughs) Oh, I know. Maybe that's why it's so jarring. But these pictures I see, it is like full teeth. She looks like she's having the time of her life. I don't know. Yeah, I want whatever she's having. Totally, 100%. (laughs) looks like she's having a great time. She's having a great time. Uh, Also, this past Monday was Prince William's birthday. So they must have had like a Father's Day uh, dual birthday celebration or something. And he, he turned 39, right? Yes. Uh, he, there was a Royal Twitter account message that just said, wishing the Duke of Cambridge a very happy birthday today. There wasn't a ton of news around this birthday. Uh, I guess next year he's turning 40, so it'll be huge. I think he, Kate and Megan are all turning 40 next year. I'm pretty sure. Wow. That'll or be maybe Megan's turning 40 at the end of this summer. Cause she's a Leo. Wow. Because I I don't know what the protocol is for the Royals, but I know like in America for someone like Meghan Markle, like uh, turning 40 is a big deal. So you have like a big bash. And now that they live here, I can sort of see them having like a big fancy Montecito ball for her 40th. And I feel like I would see Prince William having a very low key day. But we'll see. Hopefully the show will be continuing and we can follow up with that. Absolutely. Oh, I, that is such a good point. I can't wait to see what happens with right? her. And like, I feel like Meghan Markle seems like the type that she would want a big celebration for her 40th. I don't know why I think that. But I there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm like six years away from it and I'm already thinking of what I want to do. Right. It's a big milestone. Yeah. I think it could be baby shower 2.0 because the baby shower, that was so fun to watch. Like I'm sure there will be strategic press leaks and we'll get all the details slowly yeah. drift out. Like I think it, celebrities I think that be are fun. invited that show up. Yeah. Right. That'll be good. That'll be good. Well, Megan, while we wait to see what she does for her 40th, she recently gave an interview with NPR talking about her children's book, The Bench. Um, and it was a really interesting insight. She actually did the interview with 
the illustrator of the book. And she had some really good things to say, right, Molly? Yes, she talked about her inspiration for the book and the fact that she bought Harry a bench for his first Father's Day. I didn't realize that it had been a Father's Day gift. So I, I guess she either. Yeah. And she had in, had the poem engraved on the back, the poem, which eventually would become the book. Right. Uh, she talked a lot about there was a really nice story in there about a father who was in the military, who was in Afghanistan, and he would send a baseball back and forth to his son in Texas so they could oh. pretend to be playing catch. So a lot of people thought that the soldier in the depicted in the book was supposed to be Harry, but it was actually that man who Megan met on a USO tour. So that was a cool detail. That is like the most touching story I have ever heard. I know, it's really sweet. Beautiful. Uh, and she talked about a lot about like watching uh, Harry and Archie in those quiet moments, which I thought was interesting. And I totally agree with that, that like sometimes it's not about what you say to each other. It's sometimes those moments in the quiet that are the most touching. Right. You no, know, like and tying tying his shoe or like helping him put on a Band-Aid, like those very father-son moments in the early years of childhood. Yeah, really sweet. And they also talked about the little signs of their mother, of Harry's mother that were in the book and, and things like that, just different symbolism that they had incorporated. Definitely. She also spoke a little bit more about the deeper meaning of why she wrote the book. And I think we have a clip, so let's listen. While this was inspired by the love that I see between my husband and our son, this story and this connection, that bond that you're seeing play itself out, that could be with a mom, that could be with a caregiver, that could be with a sibling. It's really just about growing with someone and having this deep connection and this trust so that be it good times or bad, you know that you have this person and you know you can always go back to this place that you share together. And I think that really is the larger message in it. I just thought it was nice that obviously she mentioned that the book was based on her observations of her husband and her child, but also talking about the deeper meaning of just human connection with a father, a mother. She mentioned a caregiver. You know, not everyone has the same sort of nuclear family setup. So I think it's important, especially with someone that has her platform, to sort of talk about all different types of families, all different types of relationships. Right. And the story really comes across through the photos, the just yes. the different representations that they show um, of different types of dads and everything. It really definitely mission accomplished on that yep. front. I, would I say. think that was my favorite takeaway from the interview, because she mentioned she wanted that sort of watercolor feel, which obviously came across very well from the illustrator. The images are beautiful because she said she wanted a softness um, that isn't necessarily depicted in children's books about fathers because there's like that masculine energy. But she's like, I wanted there to be that softness coming through regardless of the like norms of masculinity to show that like there can be tenderness and vulnerability and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was really interesting. And the illustrator, that is not his usual medium, watercolor. So he said he was very happy to experiment with that. Uh, he normally does, I think, like cutouts and sort of collages. So and he obviously is a really talented illustrator because you never would have thought that that was outside of his normal purview. Yeah, definitely. I actually 
just found out on Instagram recently that a friend of mine is friends with the illustrator. So I am secretly working on getting him on this show. I will keep wow. you guys all updated. Molly, fingers crossed, because I feel like that would be a really great chat to talk with someone like that and how closely he worked with Megan. It would be fascinating. Yeah, that is awesome. Wow. Fingers crossed. All right. It is time for our next segment because royal author Robert Lacey spilled some tea on the rift between William and Harry. So let's get right into it. It is time to spill the royal tea. All right. So Molly, Robert Lacey uh, came out with this book last year, but now there's going to be a re-release with 12 new chapters uh, about William and Harry and the inside story of what's going on. So what what have we learned about the excerpts that have been released so far? These excerpts, oh my gosh, what a doozy this Jeez. Newsweek was. So Robert Lacey, of course, his book, Battle of the Brothers, he was on our show last year. People might remember him. Um, a lot of people interpreted Battle of the Brothers to sort of be neutral slash leaning in Harry's favor. Right. And these new excerpts, I yeah. would say are the opposite. A hundred percent. So the, these are looking good for Prince William. Yeah. So, uh, so these excerpts are, are alleging that Meghan Markle, of course, bullied palace employees during her time as a senior Royal. So we're retreading these bullying allegations, which we've heard of before, but the new information here is that, William was astonished and horrified at the way that Meghan was allegedly treating staffers. And that was why their royal households split and why Meghan and Harry then moved to Frogmore and based their offices in Buckingham Palace while William and Kate stayed in Kensington. Right. I mean, hearing this version of events, it all sort of adds up in my head, but only if it is true that Meghan was in fact being disrespectful to certain staff members. And the th I don't know what to think about that, but the one thing that makes me believe that it is true is that the more I read it, it's like multiple staff members said. It wasn't just like one rogue person is trying to accuse Megan of this. The fact that it seems like there was more than one or two or three, it's like, ugh. Right? Right. I'm I'm of two minds about this because on the one hand, uh, yes, people can abuse their power in boss situations. But on the other hand, it's been very well documented that women who are accused of being overly demanding are much easier to villainize in many, many other ways. So this is something that we do. And this is something that I used to talk about on my previous podcast, Diva Behavior, all the time. Uh -huh. The women who be, who are painted as divas or demanding are usually women who are born working class, who work their way up to a certain position of power and prestige. And people are angry that they have worked themselves up into a certain position. So right. this happens all the time that yeah, women are so painted. Yeah, it, it, it happens all the time. Also, they haven't said any specific allegations of bullying. Like, right. what did like she what, actually yeah. do yeah, or if say? She did it, just come out with it. Right. Like, I'm an American who lives in London, and I am sure 
that British people think I've bullied them just when I like ask for a <laughs> tissue. <laughs> like, right. There really are cultural differences. Really, it is a huge thing. And That's it's a good point. It's hard for people to notice when it's happening. People truly just think like our directness as Americans can be construed as rudeness. Right. So I just I know that Megan and Harry are not perfect people, but I need a little more specifics on what counts as bullying here. You I know, agree. I agree. I mean, as I've said on the show before, I, I definitely skew more of a Meghan Markle person. And I know people in the comments got mad at get mad at me a little bit because people over there are sort of anti Megan, but I try to be in her camp for those very reasons, because I do agree about the, the female aspect of it and like working your way up. And also the American thing, like there are two things right there that Royal staffers probably were like, whoa, 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 where is she coming with this? But it's like, that just could be, she wasn't trying to be a certain way. They just interpreted it differently than she meant it. Right. At the same time, they have had a lot of staff turnover even since they left. Like their head uh this. I think the CEO of Archwell didn't last a year either. So that, you know, I could see it going both ways. Right. But, you know, like, for example, one of the earliest reports we heard of her being a demanding boss was that she would text people at 5 a.m. And it's like, what? I've never had a boss that didn't text me off out or email me. It wasn't even texting. It was emailing. I've never had a boss who didn't email me off the clock. Have you? It's just a thing that people do. hundred percent. And I can't speak for other countries, but definitely like the work mentality of us in the United States, especially here in New York city is like, I was just talking about it with a friend yesterday. It was like, he was hearing from his boss all, at random times. You're just sort of used to that here. And it's not yeah. that you have to respond immediately, but it's sort of that mindset of if you, if someone thinks of something, they're just going to shoot off an email as right. opposed to waiting for like 10 a.m. Right. But I so, can understand how that would come across as like, whoa, why is she emailing me at five? So it, I agree with you about the cultural thing. Yeah, I don't think we're going to know the truth until the full report comes out, which we're seeing allegedly is going to be next year uh, okay. when the sovereign grant uh you know, they do once a year, they release details of the sovereign grant and that's going to be next year. They were going to maybe do it this week, but since Harry is going to be here for the Diana statue unveiling, right. I guess maybe they just, they, maybe the investigation's not done yet, but also maybe they were like, that would be the worst timing ever. Right. <laughs> so they're just going to wait another year. Uh, smart. Yeah. And then the other thing to think about is, if there was, in fact, bullying going on, why did no one care until Megan was about to give a big interview? Why was it right. never dealt with if this is a real issue? Right. That kind of makes it seem like, OK, then why did you cover it up? If it's real, why did it not come out until March of this year? Right. Yeah, it kind of looks like some... Um... Yeah, like back end, like we got to come out with some stuff that makes them look bad too, kind of thing. Right, and like maybe we've been covering it up and now we don't want to cover it up anymore because it's advantageous to us to get right. this news out. So it's like no one is going to come out of this looking good. No, not at all. I mean, there was another deeper issue alleged in some of the excerpts that have come out of Robert Lacey's book also, and it's this whole thing about 
William felt like Megan was stealing Harry away from him. And I don't know about this seems like very much one of those like grandiose theories that like anyone could say about a woman, like an in-law coming to like steal away their sibling, right? Like where's the proof of this? Right, it all just aligns much too easily with previously well-tread narratives of women being conniving and evil. Yeah, You know, it's like, like I said, no one's perfect. And I'm sure Megan has made her own missteps while she was in the Royal family as well. But whenever the criticisms hew too closely to like, she's evil and stealing a, a poor young man from his family. It's like, come on, what is this? Like snow white, you know, it's not hundred percent. It just doesn't ring true to the way that people believe behave in real life, you know, but also maybe it's true. Maybe she's a criminal mastermind, but like, we're not gonna, it's just, it's too vague right now. All the things that are coming out. I don't know. Yeah, I also think too, Megan would have to be really brave and bold to go into the institution of the royal family and start bullying people around. I mean, that you would have to have courage. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I assume that anyone marrying into that family would come in with a little bit of timidness and shyness. You know, like, I feel like it's all been too soon and too early for her to feel that big, bad and bold. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. Like you if this is all true, then it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, that is really there's bad. There's a quote in the book that came out that um, really made sense to me. And it was this quote, at the end of the day, the British crown and all it stood for with its ancient traditions, styles, and values, the mission of the monarchy had to matter more to William than his brother did. I was like, wow. That's the way it is if you're in the monarchy, I guess. Yeah. Because your main goal is to keep the monarchy going, to preserve the monarchy. So if a family member gets in the way of that, then you kind of got to throw them under the bus unless their name is Prince Andrew for some reason. (laughs) Good point. Good point. I mean, I do feel sorry for Prince William in the regard that he will be king one day. Like that is obviously a given. So he does have that to think about. And so if you do have your sibling that is going rogue, it's like, what do you do? Right. And if everyone is on the same page about how to preserve the monarchy and keep it going, but one person who happens to be the person closest to you has a completely different perspective. Right. Yeah. What do you do? Like there just has to be a certain point when you just have to sort of give up and, and be like, I, I just don't know what to do anymore. I don't know. And sometimes I try to think about the Royal family, uh, comparing them to, us normal folks and normal families that like, if you do, and I feel like everyone out there watching can relate to this. If there is a sibling, especially in adulthood that starts acting differently or going rogue, or you start disagreeing with your sibling, there is a parting of ways and it's unfortunate, but sometimes you just go down different paths. Doesn't mean you don't love each other, but there's just a different value set. It's like, well, I'm going this way. If you're going that way, I guess that's just how it is going to be. Yeah. Everyone doesn't stay the same forever. And sometimes 
you know, it can, you can sort of have to split off, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Well, our conversation last week with Stuart Pierce was so great. Immediately when we got off the Zoom with him, Molly and I said, we have to split this up into two parts because we want you guys to see everything. It was so fascinating. And this this week we saved some great stuff. He talks about growing up on Royal Grounds and even playing inside the walls of Buckingham Palace and hanging out with the queen herself. This was amazing. So let's watch what happened. So you actually have some history with the royal family more than just your friendship with Princess Diana, right? Well, I, well, I was brought up in the royal, yeah, in the, in the royal household. My father worked for the Duke of Edinburgh for the Prince Philip. Wow! Uh, and what did he do for Prince Philip? He was his principal valet, which is rather like a PA. So you know, the the valet looks after is really an interface between the private personality and the public domain. Um, and so, you know, Dad was with him from the war years. They met in the Royal Navy. And, um, of course, my father was, you know, a young man. Well, they were both the same age, actually. So if my father was still alive, he would be 100. My father died, sadly, in 75, after 33 years of service with Prince Philip. Uh, but, yeah, they were very, they were, they were two, born two weeks apart. They were the same age. They were very, very similar. Um, so they, you know, they they fitted really well as a as a piece of consonance. Their relationship worked very effectively, um, and it was very sad when Dad died. Obviously, that I means a long time ago. And the, you know, Prince Philip was extraordinarily supportive for both myself and my brother. I have a brother who's a year older. Um, but and then my mother died three years later, and that sort of then released the royal bond, as it were, because it was very formulated by by my parents. Yeah, so it was very interesting being brought up um, as a as a private personality within the context of that, and just watching it. It really suited me because, as you can probably sense, I I have a, a very broad personality that enjoys the idea of heritage and the usage of heritage and tradition and monarchy and. Um, and the, the extraordinary history of the British peoples, because this monarchy goes back a thousand years, as we know. Um, but at the same time, I'm also a social liberator. So I'm very aware of where the glory is and where the majesty and the magic is, but also where the, um, should we say, the gentle disabilities are? Perhaps that's the wrong word to use. But the inabilities are, you know, because obviously it's a regime that has been very cocooned. And now is the time, as we're seeing with all of our lives, to remove the cocoon and to really move easily through the lives of all people rather than just a small selection of people. Right. But my brother's not at all interested in it. It's very interesting. You know, when you, when you, when you look at individual members of the family and you begin to realize, wow, um, why did I choose to be with these people? You know, <laughs> so we move then into the de definition of our soul's destiny and why our soul would choose the relationships to enable us to grow. Right. That's so interesting. I love, obviously you're, like you said, you have such an outgoing personality. Was there someone having grown up on the Royal Grounds and being so close to your father and Prince Philip, was there someone that you became close friends with before you had even met Diana within the Royal family? Well, Her Majesty, I mean, the Queen is amazing. And I, you know, I can remember loving being in Buckingham Palace, for example. So I would go with my father, not during school, obviously school period, but during vacation. Um, and I always remember the stationery as a kid. I mean, you know, I'm talking about 
seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I always remember the stationery because it was, it was of a certain size and a certain thickness of paper. I can still remember the smell and it would make the most amazing paper aeroplanes. Uh, <laughs> you could create, you know, aerofoils and all sorts of things. So you can imagine standing at the top of one of those grand staircases with no drafts and then throwing that, the plane would go on and on and on and on and on. I thought that was great fun. I used to love doing that. And I remember one day my father saying, now, where are you going to go? And I said, well, I'll just go to the top of the grand staircase. Don't go any further. So I was just flying my planes. And I suddenly heard this voice, what are you doing? And I turned around and there was Her Majesty. Wow. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? Well, some, I don't know what I, you know, seven year old, seven years of age. I don't know whether I said shit or whatever. Oh, that is like um, the ultimate getting caught. I was really And she didn't do this. She just simply said, come here. Oh, it's Stuart. Oh, come into my sitting room. So we went into her sitting room and she switched on the TV and it was sort of tea time. So she ordered tea for herself and hot orange juice, which I thought was a really weird choice. But anyway, I drank it. It was the queen. I didn't say, oh, I don't want that. You know, I, I want uh, hot milk or something. I just drank it. And we had this conversation. I will always remember that. Wow, that is incredible. And then uh, with Kate and William's wedding, I was invited um, not centrally, but peripherally as a guest. And I was standing talking to somebody at the reception or a group of people, and suddenly there was this silence. And when there's a silence, you know that one of the royal personages had arrived. And here was Her Majesty. So this was, I don't know how many years later, you know, the last time I saw her was probably in 82 or something. Okay. So this is, this is 2011, isn't it? So that's many years. And she looked me up and down. She has these extraordinary blue eyes that see everything. <laughs> and the person that she was with said, oh, do you remember Stuart? And she sort of did this and she said, well, his father was Joseph. Oh, I so miss your father. She's immediately sad. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Because both Prince Philip and the queen were with my father when he died. Right. That they were shooting grouse in Scotland, October the 26th, 1975. Mm. And my father fell to the floor and was dead. And so Prince Philip gave him mouth to mouth resuscitation to try and get him back. And the queen, I think, was walking down. They're called the butts on a hill where the, 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 you know, the men with the guns stand and the birds are beaten up from way over there by the, by the beaters. And I think she'd walked down the hill and heard this kerfuffle going on. So she ran back up to the top of the hill where my father was on the floor with Prince Philip over him, giving him mouth to mouth. I mean, they were sort of like brothers, you know. I mean, it was, always, it was always the royal distance, don't get me wrong. He was a servant, and Prince Philip was Prince Philip, you know. But also, when you spend intimate times, when you run somebody's bath, or you help them get dressed into some capacious uniform, if you're there alone on safari or tiger shoots in India, then there are personal sharing times. I just can't get enough of Stuart Pierce. I love that interview. 
Yes. So amazing. So interesting. I just can't imagine having that be your upbringing. Very long way from my upbringing on the Jersey Shore. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Me too in Michigan. With all due respect to my family. I mean, (laughs) have you ever talked to anyone that would... I don't, I think that was the first person I talked to that had been inside Buckingham Palace in such an intimate way. Well, actually the one, I, I, I think I lied. The one time I've been around someone that was inside Buckingham Palace was Prince Harry himself. I was a hater waiter in my early years here in New York City and I was at an event that he was at. I didn't talk to him, but I was. Pro- I probably got within like five feet of him. So that felt like my brush with royalty. Wow, what did he look like in person? How tall was he? Very tall, very handsome. This was probably in 2009. Mm, He was at the height of his powers, I think. Yeah, like he had just gotten hot and like he was like it. So like there was definitely like a sparkle around him and obviously everyone was eyeing him at this party. It was was really cool. That's really cool. I've seen them just driving around outside Buckingham Palace because like if you kind of just hang around, some of them will just come out once in a while. So pro tip for anyone visiting London, like they drive in and out of the front gates. So one day I saw all of them at different times of the day. It was crazy. Oh, wow. I love that. Not that I was lurking all day. I was just researching for this show that you spent all your time outside of the palace. Yeah, no, I was like going for a walk and I saw them by the palace and then I kept walking and I saw Harry drive by like 10 blocks away. It was the craziest. It was the weirdest thing. It was like a coincidence. I love that. All right. Well, before we wrap up this week's episode, we have to check in with our royal kids, something we haven't done since I started co-hosting with you. So that means it's time to go behind the pint-sized palace walls. So Molly, I, I think we got some information about how George and Charlotte celebrated Father's Day with Prince William. Yes. They helped Prince William count down the start of a half marathon at Sandringham, one of the Queen's estates. Um, It was really sweet. It was on Sunday, June 20th. And, you know, William just held a microphone between them and they counted down five, four, three, two, one. And then the athletes all started their run. It was so cute. I wonder if it made me think watching the clip, like how comfortable uh, George and Charlotte uh, will be um, in front of public, like public speaking and like doing these fun things because they're already thrust into it at such a young age, you know? Right. They seemed they seem a little shy usually when they appear in public, which they I do. think is a healthy way to be because who wouldn't be when you're like surrounded by all these crowds and photographers? Right. Because apparently they don't really know that much about their family's role uh in in the 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 country and everything so i think they just probably are kind of like what what's going on (laughs) right i mean you're already shy at that age i can only imagine dad's like come on stage and do this countdown i'd be like hell no (laughs) yeah yeah and Um, also as a child i'd have been like yeah and then do i get to sing a song (laughs) me too i would have been hamming it up for sure and that's how kind of how william and harry were i think when they were younger they were sort of like running wild all the time and just kind of sticking their tongue out at the paparazzi and stuff. They were really little firecrackers. So I guess George and Charlotte are just a little bit more uh, demure. Definitely. Well, according to the website about this half marathon, it was obviously for a good cause, raising many thousands of pounds for various 
different charities. And it's uh, there was a start and finish within the royal estate. The event boasts a super scenic route around the grounds of Sandringham Estate, Her Majesty the Queen's winter retreat, as you mentioned. And I'm not a huge marathon runner by any means. I mean, I run at the gym, but if I have the option to run around the Queen's winter estate and just see like the beauty I'd be do I'd be going lap after lap after lap. I know. Right. I had no idea that this was an option. Like I might have to look into. Oh, right. It's like, how do you get in? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I might have to start running. <laughs> For sure. We'll get in next year. I'll fly over and join you. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for another episode of Royally Us. We'll see you next week. 